Praise the Lord. Shall we just take a moment to thank God for this time and pray that God will minister to each and every one of us according to our needs. God knows us. God knows what we need. And let's pray that God will speak to each one of us. Father, we surrender this time into your hands. We surrender these words into your hands, Lord Father. And we pray, Lord, that it is you who will minister to each one of us, Lord. Father God, you know the hearts and the minds of every one of us, Lord Father. And we pray, Lord, that you will talk to us, Lord Father. Let this be a time when your word is, when your name is glorified, Lord Father, and your word is lifted high, Lord. We give all glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. During our recent travels, we happened to visit the 9-11 Memorial in New York City. The memorial consists of two huge uh, water pools where the tall twin towers of the World Trade Center once stood. The names of men and women who died when those two buildings came crashing down is etched on the sides of the water pools and you could just walk, walk all around and read name after name after name after name and names of people from a huge number of nations. Now between these two large memorial water pools stands one tree that withstood the horrors of 9-11. It is told that it is a tree that was pulled out from the rubble that fell that day. It was carefully watered and nurtured and then it was allowed to grow in that place even as the rest of the rubble was cleared out and the memorial was built and yet this one tree kept growing there. And today it stands tall next to these water pools or in between these water pools. It stands as the only thing that survived the horrors of destruction of 9-11. It is known as the survivor tree. And like a lot of other things, it is now a tourist attraction. Now how and why did this single tree manage to survive? People died, buildings collapsed, and yet this one tree, it was not a very large tree apparently at that time, it's grown much larger now. How did this one single tree survive? Deep roots is the answer. Deep roots, that's the answer. Because of its deep roots, it was not uprooted. Because of its deep roots, it continued to draw sustenance from the deeper layers of good soil, even though the, the top was completely rubbish. Because of its deep roots, it continued to draw nourishment from life-giving water deep in the ground, though there was no water on the surface. Because of its deep roots, it did not bow down to the winds of destruction that day. And because of its deep roots, it has proven to be an overcomer of disaster and a survivor of difficult times. That is the survivor tree. But this is not about the survivor tree. Today we are not here to talk about the survivor tree. So, so comes my question. What about you and I today? 
Are we deep-rooted in good soil and refreshing, life-giving water? Or are we just there with our roots in superficial soil, bowing down to every wind of doctrine, ready to be blown away with every disaster that comes along without choosing to put deep roots. To put it simply, you and me, are we deep-rooted in the Word of God? Because clearly we know, and I don't need to tell you this, but you, we all know it, the only thing that helps us stand in times of difficulty, in times of disaster, in times of confusion, is God and His Word. And if you and I have to stand, and if you and I have to not bow down to every wind of doctrine, but have the ability to get up and fight another day, we have got to have deep roots. We have got to have our roots deep in the Word of God. There is just no point in knowing that the Bible has got four Gospels and nothing else. There are 62 other books in the Bible. There's history. There's geography. There is love and romance. There is tragedy. There is comic descriptions. There's a whole lot of it. There's literature. And there is the word of God coming through all of this. You and me today, are we deep-rooted in the word of God? When did you last spend time with the word of God? The last time we spent word was it this morning when pastor said, let's open our Bibles and read this. Did you open your Bibles yesterday? Did you open your Bibles the day before that? Did you read or did you spend time with it? Because what really stands at the end of time is how deep you are in the Word of God. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 and 3, 1 to 3. Psalms chapter 1. Verses 1 to 3. And I'll read it from the New King James Version. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in due season, in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now let's look at these three verses and see what God is ministering to us this afternoon. Verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Very poetic, very literary, 
Very dramatic, but very meaningful. Biblical scholars suggest that this introductory verse to the book of Psalms is based on what was written in the historical book of Nehemiah. In chapter 13, if you read verses 1 to 3, Nehemiah 13 verses 1 to 3, this is what is written there. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was. When they had heard the law, that's when the people heard the law, that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Biblical scholars suggest that this statement in the book of Nehemiah, which was written before the words came into the books of, uh, the, the chapters of Psalms, was actually the originating theme for the introductory verse in Psalms. Psalms 1, 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You put these two verses together, or these two themes together, what you get is this. No child of God should have any connection with the ungodly, the sinners, and the scornful. Where there was a mixture, they were separated. Where the ungodly were, they were separated. Where the sinners were, they were separated because they sinned in not welcoming the people of Israel. Where the scornful were, they were separated. In the Hebrew Bible, the word used for blessed is asher. Okay, it says here, blessed is the man. Okay, the word used is asher. Now, an expansion of the word asher, if you study that word asher, what it simply means is to be right with God and to be straight with man. Okay, so no hidden agendas. You are absolutely right with God. But you are also straight with man. So comes the word, blessed is the man who walks not in the council. What does that mean? You've got to be right with God first. And equally, you've got to be straight with people. You can't have hidden agendas with people and think that you are right with God. Doesn't work. It simply doesn't work. In other words, you and I are expected to be righteous people having godly characteristics. And when you are righteous, when you are with living in right standing with God and walking straight with people, it means you are expected not to walk, not to stand, not to sit with the unrighteous or the ungodly. 
10 seconds. Look at your own connections. Do you walk? Do you talk? Do you sit with the ungodly, the scornful, the righteous? Because we have got to set our life right first. Okay, that's the starting of Psalms. Get yourself right with God. Get yourself straight with man. You can't gossip. You can't make fun of God. You can't make fun of God's people. You can't make fun of men of God. You've got to be careful that you don't get to talk the language of the scornful. That's what, that happens all the time. And we get drawn into it. Okay, but we need to be careful because that's what the word of God tells us. That we better be careful. That we need to be blessed. And what does being blessed means? To be right with God and to be straight with man. One biblical scholar puts it this way. He paraphrases it this way. You should not be thinking, behaving or belonging to the men and women of the world. Your thinking should be different. Your behavior should be different. And you shouldn't be caught in the vice-like grips of the people of this world. Can you say that is true for each one of us? I ask that question to myself. As I was preparing this, I asked that question to myself. I said, this is hard. Do I fit into this? And I said, God, if, uh, do I have the authority to go and speak this unless I really do fit into this? God said, speak to yourself first and speak to my people next. So don't think I'm accusing you. It's just as much for me as it is for you. Maybe I'm the only person God is speaking to this, this morning. So be it. Okay. So what's the lesson for us? Sin has a progressive nature. One small sinful thought ultimately culminates in huge sinful acts. He who acts by bad counsel will soon do evil deeds. And he who does evil deeds soon lives a life in total separation from God. Little sins are the problem. The big sins hit you straight on the face. It's the little sins that drive a wedge between you and God. Between me and God. Because it doesn't say in the Bible that God is prepared to look upon little sins. Sin is sin is sin, full stop. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. 
His delight is in the law of the Lord. Whose delight? The blessed man. Okay, And in his law, that's the Lord's law, he meditates day and night. Now this verse is the key verse for our daily living. Your strength comes from the word of God. Your ability to withstand storms of life depends on how deeply rooted you are in the word of God. You and I, as righteous children of God, are expected to delight in the law of the Lord. Now, throughout the book of Psalms, the phrase law of the Lord is used to describe God's entire word. Not just some specific law in Exodus, Leviticus, or Deuteronomy. Okay, so the law of the Lord, as described in Psalms, is the word of God. So every bit of the word of God is absolutely important. And it is in that that you and I should delight. Delight in the law of the Lord. If your delight or joy comes only when you see yourself in the morning, in the mirror, when you see yourself in the mirror every morning, then basically you are a self-centered, selfish person. Now, umpteen studies have shown that any time you pass a mirror, you will automatically turn and look and go. And the step before you reach the mirror, you will go like that. Because you want to look good. Mirrors have been placed in all kinds of places. And cameras have been kept to track people. And without fail, when there are mirrors, irrespective of gender, irrespective of age, people tend to look at themselves in the mirror, give a smile and keep moving. We are a selfish, self-centered people. But if your delight comes when you immerse yourself in God's word, Everything when you read God's word, it just brings joy and happiness and delight and you feel so great to be in God's word. Then you are a God-centered, righteous person. So what brings you delight? Is it the mirror on the wall? Who's the most beautiful of all? Or... Is it the mirror which can actually tell you what your life is like? This is also a mirror. Look into it. It will not give you a bad picture of yourself. It will give you a true picture of yourself. Charles Spurgeon once said, Man must have some delight, some godly pleasure. His heart and mind was never meant to be a vacuum, but had to be filled by the things of God. This is what Charles Spurgeon quoted at some particular time. And this is a great difference between Christian meditation and non-Christian meditation. Because if you are going to spend time in the word of God, you've got to meditate on the word of God. Okay, so what is the difference between Christian meditation and non-Christian meditation? 
Now, I'd like to put this thing across right now. I might be stepping on certain toes. To all the young people going elsewhere to study, or even others who are going, especially those going to India, let me give you a warning. Stay away from yoga in all its forms. It doesn't matter what it is called. Yoga is not exercise. Yoga is not a stress-relieving act. Yoga is not the art of living. Yoga is not smart living. So please, if anybody's got any ideas that there's something good about yoga, it's just a form of exercise, get it out of your mind. In yoga, the goal is to empty the mind. That's what it will tell you. Empty your mind of all the rubbish of the world. You've been stressed out by something. You've been perturbed about your job situation. You've been perturbed about your visa situation. You don't know what to do now. Empty your mind. Clear your mind. That's the goal of yoga. And long time back, some Englishman put it somewhere. An empty mind is a devil's workshop. An empty mind presents an open invitation to deception, to demonic spirits and the devil. It's as simple as that. Now, Christian meditation, on the other hand, is an entirely different thing. The goal in Christian meditation is to fill your mind with the word of God. It's not to empty your mind. It's to fill your mind. But with what? With the word of God. Starting is different. Empty, fill. So be careful. Understand what this is about. Please also remember that reading is not equal to meditation. I used to very proudly say, before I was saved, that I have read this Bible, not this one, but some other version, cover to cover twice, including all those genealogical names. Okay? I have actually sat and read the Bible as a teenager twice. This is long before I was saved. But believe me, I could probably have understood Greek and Latin better. There was so much I didn't understand. After I was saved, I haven't managed to read the Bible completely. Because reading is different from meditation. And some of us who like reading, we do speed reading. You know speed reading, isn't it? Yeah. So you can speed read the Bible without understanding anything. That's what we do for examinations. We speed read. We don't need to understand because we just need to go and vomit what we have read. Okay, mug up, vomit. Have I understood anything? No. It's just a transfer of information from the pages of the book into the pages of the paper through the hands of the writer. 
without going through the minds of any okay but christian meditation what are you supposed to do you are expected to allow every word every phrase every verse to sink deep into your heart and your mind allowing god to work in you you don't need to analyze it it is god who's going to work in you and that is why you'll sometimes find simple verses like god created heaven and earth you have read it 100 times the 101st time it suddenly comes to you as a rima verse it suddenly has great impact on you you have read it 100 times before that from childhood from sunday school friday school abcd school everything you have read god created heaven and earth it was just seven or eight words strung together but suddenly now because this is the time that god has for you when he wants to impress something from those words you see that is meditation that is when you let god speak to you and you can be sitting in a bible study reading seven eight of you can be reading the same verse but it will hit somebody this is great i've never heard it like this what have you heard because others are also listening but they haven't heard it that way okay but that's god doing what only he can do and that's what you need to allow in meditation let me quote again spurgeon biblical meditation is all about chewing the word of god and allowing the sweetness and nutritive value of the word to seep into your heart into your mind into your life this way the godly bring forth much fruit this is virgin now we come to verse 3 he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in due season or in its season whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper this verse is a message by itself this is actually the reward verse verse 1 is the warning verse verse 2 is the what to do verse verse 3 is the reward verse he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper there are four aspects to this verse we could focus on number 1 a tree planted by the water number 2 fruit in its season number 3 leaves that do not wither and number 4 prosperity however for want of time i am only going to focus on the second point and that is fruit in its season as you get rooted in the word of god you will bring forth fruit in its season verse 2 is as you get rooted in the word of god verse 3 you will bring fruit so what is this fruit in its season there are two components to this fruit a tree when it gets adequate water good nutrition and minerals from the soil produces sweet and tasty fruit 
This fruit has a character of its own. It's got its own color. It's got its own smell, its fragrance, its taste, its nutritional value, so on and so forth. So the first component of fruit in its season that we read of in verse 3 is simply this. The righteous man of God will carry the multiple characteristics of the fruit. What fruit? Fruit of the Spirit. So let's move on to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. That verse, those two verses state, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. In other words, the more you meditate on God's word, day in and day out, the more of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control you and I will develop. Before we look at getting fruit from there, we need to develop certain things first. You can't have a heart filled with anger, and bitterness and rudeness and then go and say, I am going to go and get fruit. Might as well go to Lulu. <laughs> okay? So, when in, in verse 3 of Psalm 1, when it says that you shall bring forth fruit in its season, it's your personal characteristic development. Because verse 1 is, blessed is the man who does not do certain things. You are not with the ungodly. You are not with the sinner. You are not with the scornful. And in verse 2, what is it? You are deep in the word of God. So when you don't do certain things, which God doesn't want you to do, and when you do certain things, which God wants you to do, what happens? The fruit develops in you. Then you and I will be full of love, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and patience, and all of these fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is the fruit every one of us needs to have first. And the only way you and I can get this tasty fruit is to go deep and get rooted in the word of God. Because you will know, some of you may know, that fruit which comes in trees which don't have good nutrition are actually tasteless. They are not sweet. They don't smell good. They don't ripen. You probably take a bite and then you throw it out. So if you want good tasty fruit, that tree should have been planted in a place where the soil is good, the nutrition is good, it's getting all the water and it draws all its nutrition and its sap and its everything to develop that tasty fruit. So if you want to show the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you need to be rooted in the Word of God, drawing upon the Word of God to develop every aspect of your life.
If your life is developing because you are drawing something from somewhere else, that will manifest in your life, but it will not be the fruit of the Spirit. It will be tasteless fruit. And somebody will look at it and spew you out. Because that's what we do with tasteless fruit. The second component of fruit, of any fruit, is the seed. In almost all types of fruit, the seed is inside, surrounded by the flesh of the fruit. So to get to the seed, you need to go through the flesh of the fruit. So when you want to plant a seed out there, you see, because you have to plant a seed, you don't eat the seed. Okay, you take the seed that you have and you go and plant it. Now that seed is meant for reproduction. You plant the seed and that seed in its season will produce more fruit. So in order to get the right seed to plant out there, you need to have first the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you. To get the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you, you need to be a blessed person, not walking with the ungodly, the sinners and the scornful, and delighting in the law of the Lord. Simple. What not to do, what to do, reward. Even a person like me, who does not have the IQ of Einstein, can understand it. Shouldn't be difficult for anybody else to understand those three verses. So what's the lesson for us again? Before you attempt to bear fruit in the kingdom of God, first develop the fruit of the Spirit in your own life. And if you haven't got it, desire that first. It's time now to bring this message to a close. But let me first give you an anecdote. A whiskey and brandy bar opened opposite a church. The church prayed daily against that bar business. God, do something. That bar cannot be here. Now, quoting Psalms 1, they prayed that they did not want to be tempted by the ungodly, by the sinners, and by the scornful clients in the bar. So they said, God, do something. What you're going to do, we don't know, but do something. Do you pray like that sometimes? God, do something. I don't know how you're going to do it, but God, do it. Do you pray like that? Oh, we got very holy people here. Don't, <laughs> don't want to tell me. Okay. My question really is, when you pray such prayers, do you mean it? Because what happened in the story is that the bar burnt down. Okay? The bar burnt down. And so the bar owner went to the court and sued the church. He said, these people prayed. These people quoted the word of God. And my bar burnt. And so the judge 
called up both sides and said, well, this is the story. Now let's hear. So the bar owner said, I know it. They were quoting the word of God. They were uh, praying. And they said, God, do something to this bar. And the church people said, no, 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 we never said any such thing. <laughs> no, 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 we did not say any such thing. We did not ask for the bar to be burnt. We did not do any such thing. So the judge said, I am a bit confused now. It is difficult for me to decide this case. Because we have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer. <laughs> and a church that doesn't. I believe that we are not like that. Okay. The word of God is all powerful. We have got to activate it in our life. Now that doesn't mean it's only on Fridays. It means 24-7. 365 days or 366 days if there's a leap year. You get your nutrition for daily living from the word of God and the word of God only. That's got to be the roadmap for your life. So what are the lessons that we had today? Number one, blessed is the man who has nothing to do with the ungodly, the sinners, and the scornful. Number two, blessed is the man whose life is rooted in the word of God. Bless, number three, blessed is the man who is planted by living waters and bearing fruit in himself or herself and in the world outside in its season. God bless you as you continue to meditate on these verses.